Hey, this is John Sally, and thanks for listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. This is Cassie Sobleton. I'm a health and wellness expert, speaker, and author of Back to Balance. You're listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Hi, this is Lisa Hickey, CEO of Good Men Media and publisher of the Good Men Project. Welcome to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Hey, it's Jason Robel, the author of Eternity, and you are listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. This is Michael Patrick Peters, the creator of Dance Meditation Technique, and you are listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. This is Len Barker from the Mankind Project Chicago. You are listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Hi, this is Katie Delbao, author of the book Let It Out, and you are listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Welcome to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Here are your hosts, Chris Forte and John Moises. I'm John Moises. That is Chris Forte. Live brave. This is the Humble Warrior Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hello, Humble Warriors. Well, on today's show, we've got a special guest later this afternoon. His name is Andrew Brewer. He is known as the Rock and Roll Psychic. and uh, It'll be entertaining. Yeah, Chris will be interviewing him this afternoon, and we'll learn more about uh, psychics. I don't know anything about them, so this will be interesting. But between then and now, we're going to talk about families. But before we talk about our families... I want to make sure that I thank all of you that have subscribed to the Humble Warrior Podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at The Warrior Pod and like the Humble Warrior Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you haven't done so yet, go to YouTube, search for the Humble Warrior Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel for our Try It Raw Healthy Food Series where Chris Forte and Michael Severance, the owner of Try It Raw, Create uh, easy, at-home, vegan recipes in five minutes or less. And you just tried the almond milk that we did yesterday. That was pretty good. It was good, wasn't it fresh? I, it was. It, it was. looked a little sketchy, but yeah. when I tried it, yeah. it, was, it was good. The real deal. So you recently went to a funeral. I went out to a funeral. Um, my uncle, who passed away. Um, 73 years old and, um, funeral was out in Kansas and we were, we were a very tight knit family and the, his wife is my godmother. Who's the sister to my dad. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So when we were younger, we did a lot of things, a lot of family trips. And then when we were all from the East coast, my uncle, my aunt, and their two kids moved out to Kansas, I think maybe when I was eight or nine. And then, you know, as years went by, those the, the summer trips we did kind of went by the uh, wayside just because of age yeah, and the older. kids and yeah. the older and stuff. And so you, you still stay connected with the big events, the weddings. Right. You know, and... Weddings then, and funerals. That's weddings when families and, get and, together. And weddings and funerals, right. So, um... You know, so at this funeral, if it, it's so nice to see everyone, at the same time, it's obviously sad. Yeah, you know, that's someone that tough, you love yeah. is going by. And you know, one of the common themes we talked about even before we got on the show is then everybody says, "Man, it's we need to get together." Yeah, that you idea know, of let's get know, together more often. Let's then. get together more often. Yeah, and I think that's maybe a common theme a lot of times at either families or friends funerals when you see you know good old friends or family they've been seen years it's 
oh, so nice to see you. And it'd be great to get everybody to get together. Right. Well, at a funeral, you always, you take this time to reflect on a person's life and what, yeah. what they meant to you and the memories that you have. And then when you see the other people that you haven't seen in a while, I think combining the death of a loved one along with seeing your other loved ones, you realize that there's a finite amount of time for you to spend with these other people. So it makes you right. want to say, hey, right, let's get together. Let's right. do something. Right. Which, you know, I can understand. And, you know, I've been very, very, very blessed to have um, not only just my family, but uh, the extended family of a lot of a lot of love uh, around that. And uh, my dad comes from, uh, he's got uh, two brothers, two sisters, and my mom has a brother, and my mom's brother passed away. And growing up, you just saw the family dynamic. You know, I was, all you know is your mom's family and your dad's family. So you saw those dynamics uh, between the siblings, how they, you know, even though they, at their time, they seem much older than you, but, you know, Mm -hmm. they were in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s. Yep. And the dynamics with their parents. And then for myself, how that relates to my life. Yeah. And, you know, being at that funeral is kind of interesting because there's a lot of my cousins I haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the um, the purpose, obviously, is there for the passing of my uncle and being there for my aunt and, mm-hmm. and them. But, you know, conversations, you know, get get going and what are you doing and yeah. what have you. And I kind of tried to avoid that at this yeah. at this juncture because of the path that um, we're going going down. And especially with the guys, because I don't know if any of the guys really comprehend or understand what I'm doing. But it was nice to know that, you know, a couple of my family members have been listening to the podcast, have read some of the blogs. Mm-hmm. And are kind of open and living kind of what we talk about a little bit. Yeah. And so that that made it nice. <laughs> you know, it got carried away. You know how I have the uh, seven tattoos down my back, the chakras. Uh, uh, did you just whip your shirt no, off? And they, well, no, well, that, that's what happened. That's what happened. We're all at the Wait, basement. Oh, you, you did whip your shirt well, off? Well, I had no choice. Well, I did have a choice. I take that back. Let's see the tattoos. Let's see the tattoos. That's so then, funny. Yeah. And then um, I saw that going on. So I said, all right. And uh, But isn't, see, I think I, that's I, what, what's unique about that is that's something you would do with your family and your family only. Right. Like you can take, there's like this certain dynamic when you're with your family and Right. And they're your blood, and you've spent so much time right. together. There's this, there's this intimacy that you don't have with anybody else, really. Right. I mean, where you, you're, you're, I don't know if you're more. I, I always feel like I'm more of who I really am with my family than wow. with others. Interesting. And I, th- and I think as I was going through this, pro- as I've been going down this process, I would think I haven't been. I haven't been. Oh, really? Interesting. And why is that? Do you think? You know, I like think just, I, just I, this most recent trip you haven't. No, I think the most recent trip is just showing that you know there's been this side of me with uh, spirituality and God that I haven't shared with them. Gotcha. 
as we go down this path. Well, I mean, it's a touchy. And it's a touchy, know, right. You know, I mean, I'm finally, talk, well, I'm finally getting comfortable. Yeah. Well, you know what they say is don't talk about religion. Don't talk about politics. Right. Kind and, of spirituality falls into that kind of right. space. And I stay away from religion and politics. Right. So I concentrate on what's important to me is my spirituality, which I believe is being one with God and God is all and God is the creator. And here I am now out talking about it, writing about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sensing maybe, I don't know if, maybe, I don't know if uncomfortable is the right word, but along with some of my family, they're like, you know, might be a little uncomfortable with all this. They think you're kind of a wacko. Well, wacko, you could be, could sure. be. Well, that's, that's and, and a that's, common thought of, of this kind of practice. Right. And in a way, you know, as we go back, that's kind of why I do the podcast and I blog is because it's it's really my best form of communication. So for anybody that is close to me or says, you know, Chris, what are you doing? Or have you I said, do you listen to my podcast? Do you listen? Right. Because I'm putting my life out there. Right. And so it's kind of at least I'm getting more comfortable now in a, what is it? A, just a normal conversation with family members. You know, what are you doing? You know, where are you going with this? Right. You know, and so that was kind of, you know, the first time that I've kind of had a group of people there, Mm -hmm. you know, aunts and uncles, cousins, and they, they seem pretty much, I mean, open with, I mean, it was real quick because when we got together, I only had like a couple hours before I had to catch a flight. Mm -hmm. If I had stayed there any longer. Right. It would have, I'm sure there would have been more in-depth conversations, but everything serves a purpose. And, um, you know, I just, so, but it's, you know, then in my own immediate family, I have a younger brother, younger sister, mm-hmm. my parents, and uh, that family dynamic. And um, I'm a firm believer we choose our parents, and I believe that's our siblings. And You, know, you believe we choose our parents? Well, that's the Native American. But what does that mean? That we we choose our parents when we come into this life. How that? How does that? Or even you could, work? E- or you, or you could even whatever you believe. You think God, or you know, if your belief is God, you think God does not know who your parents are going to be. Well, yeah, that they're, they're that they're already chosen for you. You know, what I mean, yeah, yeah. I I believe they're already chosen for you, but right. I don't believe that I could choose that I your could soul, choose your my, your soul, your oh. soul, your my soul, soul in this life. So it, my soul said, these are the parents you want. Or no, they're going to be best for you during this lifetime. Oh, okay. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And it'll be interesting because we're going to have this psychic guy on next and we'll talk about past lives, et cetera, which is a whole other conversation, which talks, (laughs) we'll talk about going out on left field, but we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back to mainstream. Okay. Okay. So you, when we were talking about the show, we were talking a little bit about this trip you got coming up, a family vacation that you do every year. Yes. And... You've gone through a lot of changes in the past year. So this is a trip two that years, yeah. in the past two years. Mm-hmm. So this is a trip that you normally would take as a whole family. Take as a whole family with my um, my mom yep. organizes the trip. And I go, used to be my former wife and I go with our three daughters. So mm-hmm. the last couple of years has been myself and my daughters and my brother and his wife and his kids mm-hmm. and my sister, husband so and their a, kids. Yeah. So, so it's a forte family trip. Yes. Every yeah. summer. Which is nice. That's very great. nice. Very nice. That's really good. It's, it, yes. And um, 
I th- you know, I remember one of my memories when I was growing up is my parents, we used to always take a summer trip to the New Jersey slash Philadelphia area because that's where, when they came to the United States, that's where they kind of set their roots. And they still had friends and, and a lot of connections there. So every summer we'd go there and visit their friends mm-hmm. and all, all this. And there's something about just taking a family trip. We would It was always a road trip for us. Mm-hmm. You get in the car, you it's go. It's great. And it's memories. And it's it, memories, and it yes. leaves this lasting impression. And we must have done it, gosh, I mean, maybe 10, 10 mm-hmm. years yeah. in a row. I mean, it's, I mean, it's that, you know, as we got older, like my sister would bring a friend and I'd bring a friend. It would, yeah. it would become a thing. They're great. Yeah. But something about, you know, they say, I've heard as when I was in business and I traveled, you don't really get to know somebody until you travel and you kind of have to live with them mm. in that traveling situation where you're in the hotel with them, you're sharing yeah. a hotel, you're eating meals, you're doing all right. this stuff with them all the time and you really get to know somebody. Well, now take that into your into a family mode. You know, you get some kids stuck in a car for however long and they're just stuck with you all day. Mm-hmm. I think... You learn a lot about each other. You do. And you start to build these bonds and these memories. And I think it's, I love the family trips. Yeah. And I do too. And what you mentioned is, is what's important is the, the, the memories you create. Yeah. And, and just being in that, in a place where we're going and where we've been and just watching and being part of it, of all the cousins being together and I'm being there with my, you know, with my siblings and and their, and their uh, partners. And it's, it's a fun, it's a fun time. Yeah. It's a fun time. It would also be really important for your girls at this point, just to continue a tradition. A tradition. And they're much older, you know, than the uh, the rest of the the kids. So my girls are 16, 14, 12. And um, my brother's kid, they're they're, they're young. Everybody else is in single digits. Let's put it that way. So they're the veteran children. They got to take care of the rookies. They're veteran children. And I feel for it because because of their ages, they have a lot of activities. So, you know, this trip revolves around their activities. And everybody is accommodating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the same thing this year with this trip. And I didn't realize what happened was I uh, committed to doing this two hour, two hundred hour intensive yoga class that I told told you right, about. Right, you're going to get your yoga it. certification. Yeah, yep. which was from June 27th to July 27th, and I didn't think it would have such a big impact on the trip I was taking because it was over July 4th weekend. And so you're cutting your trip a little short. So I'm cutting the trip a little short Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, let me, let me guess. Let me guess. They're probably, your mother probably wasn't like totally happy with that. (laughs) She's not. I honored her feelings, you know, and she has every right to be. And, and all I said was, you know, you know, I'm sorry. You know, and I said, though, that this is uh, important to me and I have to do it and I want to do it. And it's been part of my process. And, um, you know, it's tough. So sure. It's, well, it's, you, and, know, you know, and, that's I, how, and, yeah. I, and I think that what we talked about last week, being genuine, that that's all I can be. 
you know, and I, it's not my intent to, it wasn't my intent to cut the trip short. No, well, you you're know, still going, right? Still still going and still going for quality of the time. I mean, yeah. we're going to be there most of the time, uh, just not all, the whole time. Yeah, well, you know, that's how mothers yeah. are. My mother... I'll tell you what's yeah. going on. I I got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> good. You need good. Good. Maybe, you know, help me out here. Help me out so, here because we've been talking I'll, about my stuff. I'll pull you. Out. Good. So, uh, you so you've been to some of our family yeah. gatherings. A Love your room, family, right? Well, they're not. They're entertaining. A, a lot of times, they're not. We know we're going to have them. They're like on soft schedules. Okay. So every holiday, every event. Like, you know, it was just Memorial Day. There's this assumption that we're going to get together. Mm-hmm. But it could get blown up because people are doing other things, right? right? And it's always this last minute, are we doing this or are we not? Okay. I mean, like, literally, it's the week of or less. Okay. Typically, three days out, we're deciding. <laughs> okay. Because we got a lot going on. You know, mm-hmm. we got, my wife travels a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got busy, they're busy, everybody's moving around, so... It gets hard, but it's always assumed that we're mm-hmm. going to have it. So this weekend we've got, you know, my birthday is coming up. Yeah. How old I'm, are you going to be? I'm going to be 43. Ooh. So on Sunday is my birthday, which is also oh, Father's, Father's Day. Day. You get yeah. the double. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, That's... so Father's Day is always a assumed barbecue holiday. Yeah. And then now it's my birthday too. So we're putting it all together because they happen to fall on the same day. Which is fine. It's great. Yeah. So we're having this barbecue. Um, but what's funny is, so my mom has been planning. We've actually started planning this more than a week out. Okay. We started talking about it last week. And she's been calling my wife. Okay. And saying, hey, are we, you know, we could do this. Well, out of nowhere, apparently we have another relative that's in town. And they're in town. They came in town last night. Okay. And now we're having an impromptu barbecue this afternoon. <laughs> oh, today? Yeah, today. The, uh, so after the, the after the pod, I gotta go back to the house and like start getting stuff ready for some family to come over, and we're gonna maybe I'll come over. We'll do another <laughs> impromptu guest. they're gonna think they're gonna right. think you're part of the family, right? So this is the Father's Day birthday barbecue. No, tonight? no, no. There's two. No. Oh, there's we're, two. Yeah, this is the impromptu. Yeah, okay, this is got the impromptu. Okay, we're having one today okay just because just, some families in town okay. okay so it's like this last minute thing my mom's like okay i bought i bought steaks i got all this stuff we're gonna put john to work yeah you gotta get on the grill all right good you know the house right. is you know on our side the house is a mess eric is right. like oh when am i gonna clean i'm like i don't know if they're coming at six so we got <laughs> between you know right now it's when we're recording this it's right. it's one it's two o'clock yeah you're here well thanks for being loyal to yeah, the pod so after this pod i'm, <laughs> I'm zipping back yeah. home to get some stuff ready <laughs> for this impromptu barbecue of family from out of town that i have never met before so oh, this, wow. this even family i don't even know <laughs> okay so that's how it happens in my household. Okay. Like there's a lot of last minute events that happen, which mm. cause a lot of stress. I was actually talking to Erica last night because she does a lot of the, you know, getting stuff ready and, you know, we organize. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be yeah. done, especially just getting the so, house ready and making sure it's clean, you know, with two kids that are two right. and four, they're just, they're trashing the house every day. Right. So when we don't have people over, we live in a, you know, somewhat, disorganized mess well you have a two-year-old four-year-old yeah so um so she was telling me she wanted to invite 
um, she was talking about inviting somebody, a friend of ours, and she was going to go pick him up and, and all this. I'm like, okay, that sounds good to me. I said, are you sure you're going to be able to have the time to go pick her up and then go do this and get the house ready and all these things? And she's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, okay. I said, you know, is it my birthday on Sunday? Mm-hmm. I just want to be stress-free. Right. And I started to get a little worked up already. <laughs> she's like, I'll, she's like, you know that I make your life stress-free. You've told me that. I go, yes. But you also know my family's coming over, which gives me a certain amount of stress mm-hmm. when we're having one of these events. You know, because there's all these, I always feel like I have to host and like have things ready and prepared. Mm-hmm. So it puts a little bit of stress on me until the thing gets going. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like yeah. getting drinks, getting things set up. You know, I want it to be nice. Yeah. You want it to go well. Yeah. So. You're entertaining. You know, yeah. And the family just causes that kind of, there's a different stress you have with a family, with your family members. I've, I've, I've. So if this wasn't your family members and it was just a bunch of friends coming over, oh, I'd be, still be stressed. You'd still be stressed. But it'd be a different kind. It'd just be more getting ready, stress. But you know, I think. Are you stressed that someone's not going to have a good time? Are you just no. stressed? What are you, what are, you, are you stressed that it's just the house isn't going to be? Just yeah, everything's no, not going to go right. Be, I just want it to be, you know, clean and ready to go. And. And usually, I mean, I've been to your house a few times when you're doing these barbecues. It's always clean and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, that's, that's the image we would like to portray. <laughs> <laughs> but that, so we're breaking this down, though. It's just clean, ready to go. That's really the stress. Because once it yeah. gets going, once you're going, fine. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. But you know, so and just, making sure there's enough food and and you know, we like to entertain, so we like yeah. to make sure everybody. I get that. Yeah, everybody's taken care of. Okay, and they have things to eat and all that. And uh, yeah, so. But what I've noticed, though, throughout my life, and what I've heard from other people, is that for some reason, you know, your family is your closest, some of your closest relationships, people that know you, sometimes the best. Mm -hmm. Even though they might not know certain parts or aspects about your life, they do know your behavior, your emotions, how you tend to act. And um, I think it's funny that, not funny, but I think it's, I don't know what the word is, but it seems like it's so much easier to hurt your family. Like, there's a certain... It's interesting. You know, you're more apt to yell at your family. Like, no, I'm not... Like, to disagree with them and to have more of an emotional outburst with your Mm. family than you are with other people. At least I know I am. Interesting, and I'm just nodding my head because yeah. there's not much yelling in my family. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, but you, you and I are from a different dynamic, meaning that your family's right around the corner from you. So, oh, yeah. you know, my, my parents both live in Connecticut, so yeah. I see them you know, throughout the year, but I mean, there's not, it's not like all the time, like in your situation. My family likes to raise their voices. Yeah. We raise our voices. You raise your voices. Yeah. I mean, it's entertaining. I, I mean, I enjoy like being part of it. <laughs> Have you seen a raised voice? Have you seen one of those outbursts yet? Oh, yeah. When I went over for the, well, maybe it was an outburst, so maybe that's what I'm in for. But I, I remember, what was it? You invited me. Was it Thanksgiving or something? You guys yeah. were you uh, bantering a little bit. You guys were bantering about something. I don't oh, know. Might with, have with, been. With, I don't something. know. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was something. I mean, I don't even recall what it was. But there it was. Yeah. My sister likes. My sister, yeah, she gets in there we, too. We, yeah, we've talked about. It. We're kind of, yeah. we're kind of, 
when we start engaging with my parents, it's kind of like the Costanzas mm-hmm. on Seinfeld. You ever you remember <laughs> yeah, George yeah. Costanza's parents? Classic. They start just, yeah. hey, where are the eggs? <laughs> I are the eggs. Classic. You know, it just, it just emotions yes. start to rise. And like Classic. my friends, we really won't, you know, I don't really yell at you. No. I don't think I've yelled at you that much. No. I don't think we've... Well, we're not that close yet, but as no. we get closer, I will yell at you more. You may be yelling, and I've just realized I'm not a yeller. <laughs> I mean, it takes, you know, but... Yeah, I've I've seen you, I've seen only, I think, two emotional outbursts from you. Oh, you have? Yeah. You want to recall one? I mean, I don't... Well, yeah, that one, there's the one that owned the key. Okay, tell me, I don't know, I don't you remember. Don't rem- <laughs> you don't remember when uh, uh, there was a little bit of stress going on? And um, one of the partners mm-hmm. was supposed to do something and handle something, and okay. you he wasn't, and and you said, you basically said, I don't care, you're a partner, you need to get this done in a mm-hmm. very strong, stern, hmm. emotionally charged tone. Okay, okay. <laughs> you remember? You don't remember that? I, I think I do, now that you brought it up, yes. yes. I don't even know and, what it was about, okay. but I just remember going, whoa. Okay. I have not seen that happen before. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I think I saw that, and uh, uh, I think that's the... There was some other little ones, but that was the biggest okay. one I've seen. Okay. Okay. You get in these situations. You, you get in these situations, yeah, and how are you going to handle it? Yeah. I think it's so. hard, too, because you tend to just... At least I do. I tend to just often let loose. Mm-hmm. Like if it's the stress starts happening yeah. or something, you get start pounded, getting yeah. a lot of Pound questions it. from your family. Like, ah, just yeah. forget about it. Or you cut things off, you get emotional. Whereas I think with other people, you might, I know I do. I'm like, well, you know, I, mm-hmm. I find it easier to be calm. And, and this goes back to one of our shows, and I don't know which one this is, but Maybe it was even last week, but the, you know that maybe maybe the helpful tip we can give with their families and friends is like, remember to just take that deep breath and just, yeah. you know, just before you you know let that beast out or unleash, just yeah, yeah, take your time to think about it. Also, think about other shows we've talked about, love over fear, and you know, just do the best that we can with, yeah. the, t- with the tools that we have. Yeah, and I think just kind of wrap this up going on this vacation is that's all I'm trying to do, you know, with communication with my mom and to my siblings, listen, here's what's going on. You know, my intent is not, you know, was not to cut this trip short by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. I'm sorry. It happened that way. Well, I think what's you know, interesting and, is, and, and I, and not like justify it, you know, just, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I think like, let's, uh, when it comes to your family and your loved ones, I think the important thing is to keep your eye on the ball, which is you're spending time together. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly what you talked about when you all got together at that funeral. We right. should spend more, we should get together more while your family is getting together, whether right. it's one day, two days, three days, seven right. days. Yep. The point is to make that time that so, you have yeah. as meaningful as possible you're right and let go of all this other stuff you're right and even making that time correct doesn't even always have to be necessarily a visit it could be a phone call or it could be you know just some sort of form of communication with a loved one that 
it shouldn't have to always maybe take a funeral or a major event to just stay in touch. Right, right. All right. All right. So in a little bit, we've got Andrew Brewer, the rock and roll psychic, and we'll have him on the line shortly. See you soon. Welcome back, humble warriors. Today we have a special guest, Andrew Brewer, known as the rock and roll psychic and is a clairvoyant astrologer and Akashic reader. Andrew is recognized as one of the top 100 psychics in the world, one of the top 100 light workers in the world, and one of the top 30 psychics in the United States. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on here. You know, one who has done this kind of work and explored this kind of work, you know, we're we're in this place that, you know, we're trying to educate mainstream of all these tools we can use on our spiritual path. And, you know, I'm just, you know, very, very fortunate that you're on the show to us to help us, you know, educate our listeners on these valuable tools. And if you can maybe just take us back, like how you, how you got into this and, you know, what it means to be a psychic clairvoyant and, you know, how did you discover these abilities? Well, I think a lot of people discover them sort of because they keep showing up and you can't outrun them. You know, I mean, I, you know, lots of times we'll see like YouTube videos or TV shows now of, of little boys, little girls that remember past lives when they're two or three. I was one of those, but this was back in the 1950s. And so I had a pretty normal childhood for the most part. You know, I was born in Ohio in the mid 1950s and, you know, I went to high school and Everything was pretty, you know, typical. But in my early 20s, I would start to have these visions that confused me, and I would later see that they happened. Well, this was really kind of strange to me. And I had a lot of experiences where certain things seemed to be eliciting memories to me. And I speculated that maybe these were like past lives. Well, this was back in the mid-70s, and there wasn't a lot of information about reincarnation. So so I went to California in 1979, I went to San Francisco, and that really kind of started me because it gave me, I went to classes and I did things, and it helped me kind of slow my brain down. So I guess you would say it really kicked in in my early 20s, and then I spent most of my mid-20s just, I inherited some money. And I had the opportunity, I was in college and went back to college and I spent hours every day meditating. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of an accident how I became a professional psychic because I went into this bookstore, not knowing it was a new age bookstore, and the girl that worked there was really pretty and I started mm-hmm. talking to her and we kind of got along and she asked me to do this event. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. So I did this event, and I started getting attention. Then a few months later, I had a radio show. Then I was on television, and it happened really super quickly. Um, But I think, you know, that impulse was there, but because it wasn't really culturally supported, and I didn't really have a way to really make sense of it so much, it just sat there for a long time. And then I began to pay more attention to it when I was around 22, 23 years old. Okay. So you've been doing this quite a while then, obviously. Well, you know, I took a little vacation. You know, I started as a professional psychic when I was 32. Okay. 
and I and I did it for four or five years. Well, really, I did it for a couple of years, and then I quit. Okay. And then when the 900 numbers came out, when the 900 numbers first came out, I said, oh, I can get a job doing this. I should do it again. I won't have to have clients. I can do it over the phone. So I did this job at a 900 number, but within two months, they asked me to do an infomercial for them. So I went to Los Angeles to do this infomercial, and I did that for about a year, and then I stopped when I was... 37. Okay. Didn't do it again at all until I was in my mid fifties. So I started, I was actually a corporate executive. It was kind of weird. I was actually a pretty high paid corporate executive during that interim. And so, so I went back in 2007 and I've been doing it full time since 2007. So I had two, I had my, my career in my thirties and then I had my career in my fifties. It just keeps calling you back. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things you, you can run, but you can't hide. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of it, you know, people look at the practical. You try to find practical ways in which to use intuition, right? So for me, as, a, as an IT analyst, I was actually a business analyst for software implementations. But a lot of the ways in which I might say your third chakra is doing this, I could look at architectural plans for software implementations and they would light up to me in much the same way that it would as a psychic reading. So I just learned the lingo for the IT world, and it really the the, the mental process is very comparable. So, hmm. but yeah, so I've done it twice. Okay. How does how does knowing about your past lives help you in this life? How can that help help, well, you help know, somebody? Well, you make predictions. I make a lot of public predictions, especially about the economy. And so with the economy or if you make a prediction for someone, you can quantify that. You say, yes, this happened. No, this didn't happen. When you look at past lives, there's no way, of course, to verify that, right? It's all speculation. So I can have the most elaborate theories about past lives known to man, but there's still no way to determine yes, no, is that true? However... The way I believe it works, Chris, is that there's, a, there's a, an emotional template. There's like a formula in which you process things emotionally. To me, that's how your, your spiritual evolution really takes place, is you're put into situations, and you have, a, you have kind of a trigger point that, that your emotions, there's a style that you bring to it. So I think the more that you understand how your emotions potentially are being triggered, how to really elevate your game, how really what you're trying to do is change the emotional response pattern. So instead of being unhappy about something or being, you know, kind of, a, you know, revengeful or whatever, you take the high road. I think the more that you see what these patterns are, the more you have the potential consciously to make different sets of choices. To to me, that's the greatest benefit to it. I mean, there are others, but I think that's the biggest. Well, that's kind of what, you know, we talk about on this show. I mean, this is like a, I mean, this is self-help in a way. It falls right into that category. Or, or your, as you mentioned, your spiritual growth evolution. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I have kind of a strange career as a psychic in one sense. Okay. In that I look at it in terms of collective emotions, the ways in which I make predictions about the economy are based on collective emotions. I, back in 2006 and seven, I started talking a lot about this impending kind of economic issue that I saw on the horizon. Nobody really believed me at the time. Mm. And, there, 
And there were two ways in which I went about that. The first was that I felt that there was a collective emotion of fear and disappointment on a mass scale. I thought, what caused this within the United States? And so you take this kind of collective energy associated with the emotion, you try to reverse engineer backwards and think what might be causing it. But on top of that, there's a cognitive um, bias that people have that you know, I looked at the basic business fundamentals happening in, in the United States and said, you know, dude, if this was Argentina or Portugal or someplace, we would be expecting a massive economic correction. But people believe because it was the United States that that couldn't happen. I simply took that, that cognitive bias out of the equation and said, well, everything suggested it is going to happen, so this is why I predicted. But it's, but it's still based on this. Uh, the economy, in one sense, is based on emotions, and the reactions are there's an emotional component to it. But um, you know, I mean, it's so I tend to do my readings looking at how emotions drive decisions, hmm. and that's really how you can help people is trying to understand root cause. It's the same thing with being an IT analyst. You're looking for root cause analytics to understand what might be breaking your software. It's the same kind of thing as looking at a person. Why might they be making decisions that aren't helpful to them? Let's look at what's 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 tripping them out. What's behind the scenes? Interesting. Is there um, any predictions you can make in the near future regarding our economy or with, with this political stuff that's going on in our country and what's going on? Well, I've said for the last six to ten months that I expect the economy to have to be very similar to 2008 only worse so in 2006 and 7 and 8 i was saying all this stuff about the economy nobody wanted to hear it right they're like dude you're you're negative and you're all i go so why was on this radio show once and i said okay i'm not trying to be negative this is what i think is going to happen right you know this whole positive thinking i go if it makes you happy i'm positive that the economy is going to do this I'm positive that housing prices are going to crash. I'm positive there's going to be long-term unemployment. So I said this. And then eventually I started saying around 2011 or 12, I go, the economy's getting better. Housing prices are going to go back up. Nobody believed me then. But I believe that on a collective level, the United States economy is in for like a serious um, problem. I think it's uh, – I also talked about Europe as being – what I would say was the exploding cigar goes off in Europe. I predicted a rise of um, right-wing types of governments and political movements in Europe back around 2010, and we're seeing that now. But um, the bond market is an issue. There's a lot of stuff fundamentally that are problems. So on a collective level, an economic level, within the next six months, 12 months, I think we have an economic correction worse than 2008. Hmm. So we'll see. Okay. Well. I hope not. But, right. But that's what I expect to happen. That's what you expect to happen. So explain to me, I've always been curious because I've heard this term, the Akashic Records. What are the Akashic Records? What, what, what does that mean? Or what are they, actually? So when people look at in theory, well, the way it works on Chris is that there's like a giant file cabinet full of your past lives. Just like, you know, 
if you if you're late for school and you you know you put Sally's hair in an inkwell in third grade, it's on your permanent record. It's that same kind of thing. Your cash records are your permanent record per se of your past lives. I believe that there are past lives. I don't think they're necessarily sequential either. I think it's even funkier than that. I think it's likely that past lives, you can lead more than one at a time. I mean, quantum physics is equally as wacky. But the Akashic Records, as a theoretical construct, and it's just a term that a lot of people are familiar with, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like cloud storage of all your data related to your past lives. You know, I, you know, this thought just came into my head. As you're saying this, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty, but when uh, Morgan Freeman and, and uh, Jim Carrey, they pull out the file cabinet <laughs> and it's this huge file cabinet and Jim, you know, Morgan Freeman goes in, who's God, and just pulls out, you know, basically Jim Carrey's, I mean, they don't say in the movie, but that's his Akashic Records. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's funny with Jim Carrey. I've been told more than once that, that I'm a somehow the love child of, of Jim Carrey and Vin Diesel, so that, like, they somehow merged together, and I came out the other end. <laughs> but, uh, well, that was going to lead me into this nec- these, these next questions, is, is you're, you're known as the rock and roll psychic, so I take it you've been, okay. you, you've worked with some, you know, well-known people in, in the entertainment industry. Is that is that is that correct? Or? Yeah, that's correct. So the way that the rock and roll psychic name came about, I'm not musical. I was an actor in Los Angeles, and I was a professional model, and I've done other stuff, but I was never really a musician. Okay. So it's almost like guilt by association. So 10 years ago, when I first started again because of the Internet, right? So when I came back, again, I had been a corporate executive for you know 10 years. But when I came back and went back on, like, MySpace and those kinds of things, I could legitimately say, you know, that I had been on television and I'd done all this stuff. and So, so I started getting, connecting with people. Initially, a lot of them, because of MySpace, were musicians. And once you've done a reading for one musician, they talk about you and you end up with 400 of them. <laughs> so it became kind of like word on the street that I had a lot of clients who were musicians and they became like the rock and roller dudes, you know, the rock and rollers psychic and it kind of got condensed and that's how that happened. And so there's an energy. Musicians are, are their own unique kind of creatures. I love musicians, mm. but, but it's not because I'm musical, but rather because I had a lot of clients who were musicians and then, you know, models and different, it's weird. You know, I had a lot of kind of really interesting clients. Yeah. Do you, so, any athletes? I have done readings for players in the NBA. I've done readings for players in the NFL. Um, so, done NFL cheerleaders. <laughs> so, you know, I have yeah. done, you know, I've worked with athletes. You know, I, I've, you know, I've done a lot of boxing and stuff like that, so I've worked with athletes. But as far as having them for clients, most of my clients are women. Okay. So I would say probably for me, 90 to 95% of my clients are women. Mm. But I have had clients who are uh, basketball players in the NBA. And, and recently, and I'm not going to say who, okay. 
I had a client many years ago who just recently became, and after, and when I said he would, when it didn't seem as if he would, he ended up playing this year in the American League. So I guess I can add Major League Baseball, too. Oh, wow. You know, it's interesting, you know, because when John and I started this uh, way back when, you know, part of our intent was, you know, is to kind of educate, you know, bring some awareness to spirituality and putting the spiritual fitness on it because we see also in this work that it's, it's, it's a lot more women, you know, that are maybe open to all different types of, you know, practices and what have you. And I guess in your, in, in your work, obviously you see that the same, but do you see a shift happening where more men are being open to discussing spirituality and, and other practices? I still think it's a preponderance of women because I still think there is a, a cultural bias a bit against certain kinds of attitudes. I'm 61 years old, and I think in a lot of respects I get more attention for what I look like based on my age than I do for being in all these books and magazines as being you know one of the top you know, 50, 60 psychics in the world. And the reason for that, and I think they're related, Yep. It's the same kind of thing with being a boxer, being a martial artist. When you look at a martial artist, right, what you're really looking to do, and as a basketball player or anything else, is to clear away the, the mental noise so that you can be in the moment to do whatever you're going to do. So as a fighter, right, I don't want to think about what I'm doing. I want to have clarity and confidence to be able to respond in the moment. Same thing as a basketball player. As a young kid, I used visualization techniques, didn't even know what these were. I would see myself playing basketball. I would visualize it. And and that helped me as a basketball player. So 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 you can utilize meditation, visualization. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do that's going to help you in terms of uh, physical development, in terms of athletic performance, uh, sort of retarding, slowing the aging process, all those things can be done, and they utilize mental processes, the same thing you would do to develop your intuition. And when, you, when I talk about it from that context, yeah, then men talk to me. If I go into a gym... And you know, I got a sleeveless shirt, and I start working on a heavy bag. Men are going to talk to me. Yep. I don't tell them I'm the rock and roll psychic, but when I start talking about the reasons that I do the things that I do or how I look like this at 61, I'm saying stuff that I would say as a psychic, but I just don't say I'm a psychic. And then it becomes more zen. And I hope that makes sense. It totally, you know, it, we're, 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 I mean, we're bred from the same class in that. I'm hearing your words, which is which is which is cool. Is you go to the gym? Obviously, fitness is. It sounds like has been very important to you. And you have a practice. That's what I was going to ask. Is what what do you do physically? Are you a boxer? Are you a martial artist? What what keeps you in such great shape overall? So I do a lot of weightlifting. Okay. I have um, at one time I was more of a you know basketball player, baseball player in my early, and I was like super contortionist. In my early 50s, I started having problems with my hip. Okay. And so my 
sort of lightning speed vanished. It was gone. It was hard for me to run. And so the running part of my life kind of had to go. So, but I still spend a lot. I probably work out five to six times a week, maybe 60 to 120 minutes a time. Do a lot of weightlifting. I like to work out uh, heavy bag if I, you know, if I'm in a place where I can do that. I've helped. I've worked with other athletes um, to help them train. I've worked with MMA artists and people like that that have asked me, seen me, and asked me to kind of work out with them. I'm like, dude, you know, I'm in my 60s. Don't hit me. <laughs> but, you know, I still do that. Okay. Uh, a lot of it's dietary. Yeah. A lot of it's attitude, right? Yeah. There has to be an attitude that you go, you know, I'm kind of a badass. You have to have that attitude. And that attitude in a way, greases the wheel for everything that comes out of it. So you have to have a fundamental belief, I believe, Chris, and, and I'm sure you have it too. I can see your pictures. You know, you have to have a fundamental belief that there is an energy to you that is something worth maintaining. I get a lot of attention half from my whole life and what I look like and my athletic ability, and so I have an emotional, psychological, ego investment in maintaining that as long as possible, Right. So it's important to me, and because it's important to me, I allocate the energy to try to maintain it. Mm. I mean, I guess that's the simplest thing. If you want something, nothing's going to stop you. If you don't care, and this is why psych, this is why I have job security as a psychic. Most people, I believe, do what other people tell them to do. You know, unconsciously, right. they look for permission to be a certain thing. You have to be kind of an outlaw. You know, and you have to say, this is what I want. If I'm in love, I don't care if it's raining or snowing, dude, I'm going to go. But if I don't really care, I'd love to come, but it's raining. You know, I don't want to say it. So, so a lot of that's motivation. Mm. And the motivation, you have to have that, but you also have to have the belief, I believe, in yourself. And, and kind of it's a worthiness kind of gig. In some sense. And again, I hope that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, it really, it's kind of like aligned with a lot of what, we, what we're teaching here in regarding to spiritual fitness, which is going to kind of lead me to, you know, my next question is, you know, you've got the physicality part, right? What you're doing, which is great. And, but then you're also doing the stuff for your mind, which I heard is like, you've been in a bookstore, you've done meditation. So I was going to, you know, ask, do you have like a daily, you know, spiritual practice or ritual you go through daily? You know, it's an interesting question. Uh, many times I've been asked what I do. It's kind of a smart ass answer, but it's a truthful answer. But there's a, there's a backstory behind it. I'll be asked, what do I do to prepare to do a reading? Like, do I chant or burn candles? And this is my answer. Mm -hmm. I look up the phone number because I'm not psychic enough to pull it out of thin air. And then I call them. And they're like waiting. And I go, let me repeat this. I look up the phone number because I'm not psychic enough to see it in the sky. I need to write it down. And then I call them. And when the phone rings, it's like Pavlov. It's like operant conditioning. It's on. Now, how do I get to that point? Well, I spent my 20s meditating literally five, six hours every day. Wow. And so there's a, there's a part of me that you would say is kind of constantly meditating. But it, it, in a way, it kind of blends. So the way I think that things happen 
is you don't necessarily make things happen so much as you get into an energy space in alignment with the conditions in which good things could happen. So it's a preparation as an athlete. You, you, you train, you do the things you can, you work in your condition, you work in your mechanics, you work on your, your, your um, self-confidence. All those things are precursors so that if you get in a ring or you get on a basketball court, your, your potential, the tools you have to succeed are already there. So as a psychic, I've done all this stuff all these years. I mean, I've worked for 40 years or more. I read books. I read every day, hours every day. I try to do things in terms of staying calm. Calmness is the key to psychic ability. If you have a life that's chaos or if your mind is chaos, your work is chaos. So as a psychic, it's imperative to me to be as calm and neutral and observant as I can possibly be. And so I try to create a life that supports that. So, so a lot of it are, uh, it's kind of, um, <laughs> excuse me, it's a kind of a collective series of choices, but, mm-hmm. but there's never a day, excuse me, that, that I don't have some sort of, um, distinct kind of meditative thing but I don't sit down and call it meditation. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. It's, a, I mean, we're all creators. We're all artists. And this is what, what I'm hearing. And, you know, is you've created a life for yourself, which, which, you know, that, 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 that is working for you, that you're in, you know, you're, you're doing what you want to do. And it, like you said, you may be an outlaw. We call ourselves like warriors. It's, it's unconventional, but it works for you. And it's been working for you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've created really kind of a magical life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when I go places, people always seem happy to see me. They talk to me. You know, I can, in the in terms of one-on-one conversations, in terms of readings, I happen. It's amazing. You know, you get you have these really intimate, connected things with people instantly, right? You know, so so there's this bonding that happens. It's a magical kind of experience too, in that. Um, you know, like when you're in love, everything is like the birds are, you know, sound better and the, the trees are nicer. I mean, it's kind of like that. Right? right. And so you make those choices to say, okay, I'm open. I'm open. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to sort of snort experience here. And I'm going to snort everything around me. And I'm not going to turn down my volume too much. I, I want to be as good as I can be all the time. I want to be the most athletic 61-year-old in the world. I want to be the best psychic in the world. I want to be the smartest person in the world. I'm not those things. But I, I, don't, I don't limit myself. I don't go, I'm not, it's not legit for me. Well, you know, maybe it is. Mm. So I think a lot of that is tuning out the voices. We learn limitations. We don't learn possibilities. Typically, limitations are everywhere. But what's possible, you have to search for, I think. So I have looked for ways to increase my access to possibility and to turn down the volume on the echoes of limitations. I guess that's the simplest way to put it. As an athlete, as a psychic, I mean, I, I, was, a, I was a psychic on TV. 
and I ended up being a $300,000 a year IT analyst. How is that possible? I didn't have any background in business, but I figured it out. And the way that I did that was, you know, relatively smart. But the way that I did it was I stayed calm enough. I had kind of a body language that they didn't know I didn't know what I was doing, but I would figure it out before they realized I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And then by that time, I didn't know what I was doing. So I just kept getting bigger and bigger jobs. A lot of that's attitude. And those are things that you can learn. Certainly as an athlete, you know, you can get talked out of stuff. You have to believe in yourself. Yeah. I mean, you know this too. As an athlete, you have to believe. You don't want to get trash talked out the court. You need to have that image in your mind that, that you're legit. Yeah. Yeah. What is your um, definition or your take on law of attraction? I think law of attraction is absolutely true, but it goes back to past lives, I think. You asked me earlier, what do I think is the benefit of past lives? And I said it's to understand the emotional template that we start off with and we tend to, to go back to when things don't go well. Go well, excuse me. So I think law of attraction is absolutely true. We, let's use dating as an example. If you believe that you kind of got it going on, you kind of got it going on, unless you're like a total bozo. <laughs> but, I mean, like, unless you're like delusional. But if you believe in yourself, you really believe in yourself, you can't fake that. People like to hang around people that believe in themselves. So if you want a date, you can't get one. If you don't care, everybody likes you. So in the law of attraction, I believe when I was working, well, yeah, I don't have any experience. I don't have a degree in business. I, I was an English major and dropped out of that, right? I was a psychic on TV. I don't have any reason to be here, but yet I believe I could do it. And each time I did it and was successful, I believe more and more. Right. So, so as my belief fueled that transformation within myself in order to be a corporate executive, there's a certain kind of way in which you interact with people. There's a certain kind of body language you have. There's a certain kind of uh, rapport that you have, a style of engagement, a style of the way you speak. I was, you know, I was a poet, you know, psychic. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn those things. But as I saw myself as someone doing that, that alignment with the potential allowed me to, to move into it. If you think bad things are going to happen, typically they do. The problem, of course, is when you kind of get into a slump, how yeah. to get out of that. That's a little more complicated. But lots of the ways that you do that is to try to, to move past again, the, the attachment to limitation and try to get back into the essence of what you have that's positive. Try to remember your core skill sets. Try to remember kind of the magic of who you are. So I, I do believe law of attraction is absolutely true, but I don't think it's like this whole thing, you know, I want a Ferrari, I visualize a Ferrari. Right. Uh, I want to see myself losing 50 pounds because if I think, oh, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big cow, well, no, well, that, that's just going to make my emotional body boomerang and punish myself for even having the hubris to even think it's possible. And lots of times you go backwards. 
you have to work on the emotional root cause because without it, because that emotional root cause is what's, what's doing the attracting. Okay. It's not what you consciously say. It's not what you consciously want to think. It's the root cause behind the scenes. It's Oz behind the curtain. And so from that standpoint, yes, law of attraction to me is an absolute. But the problem is that most people are not willing to go through the darkness to find a root cause. They, they, look at, they look at sort of surface level stuff. And they, and they miss the point, I think. Yeah, and you... Yeah, I hope that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I mean, and you mentioned the darkness and the root cause. And isn't the root cause each one of us? I mean, it, it, yeah, it's I your, mean, to your point. Of, well, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of history that, that, that comes into people. You know, trauma leaves a mark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always say... A pattern is a pattern until it becomes a lesson. Right. And so, like in relationships, lots of times people have the same kinds of uh, relationships or they have the same work experience every time they go someplace. It's a pattern. It's an unconscious pattern. Mm -hmm. Uh, And until you learn what might be triggering you to put yourself in situations that are part of that particular pattern, you're going to repeat it. Right. So the only way you can break out of this pattern, you know, 99% of the time, is to have a level of consciousness that recognizes why you may be attracted to that particular thing. I also believe that kind of dysfunctional type of relationships, that people are attracted to the emotion. They're not attracted to the person. They are attracted to the emotion that's associated with being with that particular person. Hmm. So, so if I don't feel good about myself, I'm going to be attracted to a person that ultimately is going to tell me negative things about myself because that emotion is what I'm used to. You know, it's like uh, you become like a heroin addict. So, so we are attracted to negative emotions as much as we are positive emotions. In fact, probably more so. And so dysfunctional types of patterns are typically compensatory actions because people have an unconscious uh, addiction to a specific kind of emotion that comes out the other end. So they're looking for that emotion. And if their partner doesn't provide that emotion, they oftentimes will shift it to try to get the, the partner to do things that will elicit that particular emotion. You know, so. And that's where sometimes we, yeah. And then sometimes that's where you see relationships break down, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So hopefully people, again, get down to the kind of the nitty gritty, the root cause, so that they can say, okay, is this legitimate for me? Is this really productive for me? Do I want to keep doing this? If I don't, that's an act of courage. And it also is not something that typically happens in two days. You know, you have to, you have to re, kind of retrain your brain a little bit. Right. But it, it's most people, I think, Chris, have these dysfunctional kinds of um, pictures of themselves because they've been taught by their parents or school or whatever. You know, they've been given all these negative messages and they absorb those negative messages and it becomes their truth. They don't want it to be their truth, but it's, it's, it's you know, behind the scenes. It's, it's kind of pulling the strings. I, I believe that. No, no, I, I, I'm with you on this. 
what could, and I know you said this is complex, but if, if, you know, what could be a tip for maybe one of our listeners out there, you know, you know, to turn this around, I know you said it's complex, but let's say we're in a slump. If it's career, if it's a relationship or whatever it is, what, what, what could be like maybe one tip or, or, or that someone could start doing to at least start bringing into the consciousness and that awareness that, you know, I can, I can change the tables because like you said, it, it's, 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 it's a line of thinking of, of not limitations, but you know, of, uh, that really we all have the power within, you know, to change. And so in, in your professional so, so opinion. Say, so Chris, let's say that a woman, and it's very common with women who have had a history of abuse, sexual abuse, uh, it's incredibly pervasive. And what the sexual abuse to young women does is it distorts their cognitive anchors. Because what happens is that usually they're not only victimized, but the people doing it to them are trying to convince them that what happened to them didn't really happen. Well, no, Uncle Bobby wouldn't do that. Well, yeah, I did. Well, no, Uncle Bobby wouldn't do that. And so they don't have a chance. To, it sort of distorts their whole cognitive framework. And so they take on an element of guilt, maybe, or a, a lack of trust, a lack of trust of themselves, lack of trust of other people. And they think that they're complicit. Well, they're not. You know, they're five or whatever. So what I try to do with people as an exercise in that situation is say, okay, Let's say that across the street, there's like a glass house. And in this house is a family. We're like reality TV here. You know, there's a family across the street, and they have a five-year-old girl, and she's in a similar situation to what happened to you. I'm just using this as a particular example. Mm -hmm. If you saw what was going on with her, would you think that this little girl is guilty of anything? They would go, no, of course not. Okay then what's the motivation for trying to make her feel guilty? I mean, usually you always you know the person's trying to absolve themselves of guilt or whatever. You know, they're trying to you know, take you off the trail. Okay, if that's true, and that's emblematic of what happened to you, and you don't think it's fair for her, is it fair then that you have to hold it? It's like the light bulb starts to you know, go off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do is to say, okay, lots of times these limitations, and I don't mean to you know, beat a dead horse here of limitations, but it's a kind of a simple way to approach it, that these learned um, things that we have about who we're supposed to be and what we can't be, um, what's the motivation of the person giving you that information? Mm-hmm. Is it something that was not working correctly within them, right? So, so as you begin to see why this other person or these collective group of people might have given you these messages, was it in your best interest or something they were trying to control you or whatever? And I think if people begin to see that, then they go, oh, what the hell? Then lots of times what that will do is give them permission to really look at their choices without this layer of guilt or, you know, restriction that other people have pounded into them. Does that make sense? Did, yeah. I hope I explained that well. No, no, you did. You did. No, very well, actually. Um, so, so those are one of the things that you can do. There's other things that you can do, but it really, I think, is about shedding light 
on what may have put it there, right? Right. So if we know how the bug got in the house, yep. we can try to, to, to get rid of the bug, but also do things so that they're not crawling in through the, you know, through the gutter again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, I mean, this has been a pleasure and it's, it's been refreshing. Oh, yeah. It's, and it, it's, um, it's, it, it's been very helpful. And, you know, if someone want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? The best way is through my website, which is Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W hyphen Brewer, B-R-E-W-E-R.com or rockandrollpsychic.com. They both get the same place. R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L-P-S-Y-C-H-I-C.com. Most of the stuff I do is on Facebook. Facebook's kind of where it's happening. So that's facebook.com, Andrew, period, Brewer, Andrew dot Brewer. So those are the best ways to find me. Okay. And thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. You got it. you got Andrew and you know we'll we'll circle back with you you know That's you know it. in the near future and um, I like to thank all our listeners for subscribing to the Humble Warrior Podcast on iTunes, following us on Twitter at the Warrior Pod, and liking the Humble Warrior Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Until next week, live brave. Join us next week for the next episode of the Humble Warrior Podcast. Subscribe to the Humble Warrior Podcast by visiting chrisforte.com.